listening to another episode of the Shop Talk Show. I probably blew out the microphone there. I kind of turned it up just a smidge. I'm Dave, fresh back from the dentist. <laughs> With me is Chris Goyer. Hey, Chris. Darn right. That's what compression is supposed to do, though, isn't it? Like, that's the uh, that's the whole idea in audio. We talked about audio engineering the other it's just it brings the lows up and the highs down, kind of keeps them in the middle. Probably a really good thing for broadcasting because I have a bad habit of that too, where I get quiet. Like like in real life, it kind of works, but it doesn't work on a podcast, you know. So hopefully, in post, compression kicks in and brings those lows up and highs down, normalizes it just a bit. Yeah, it's it's hard. It's um, I do feel like if you're if you're into uh, web stuff and go into conferences and want to speak at conferences. I will say mic control is a big thing. Like, like know how to use a mic and, you know, sometimes they staple glue a little lapel to your face and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, those basics are a big deal, right? Cause th- it's very possible. They put it somewhere kind of dumb, not to mm-hmm. throw anybody in the bus. I'm not speaking of anybody in particular, but if you have something that might rub against that mic, oh, your whole talk is ruined. If every 30 seconds it's going with cloth, nobody can pay attention to anything but that. Yeah. You've sort of uh, hurt the cause, hurt your message. Um, You know, outfits can impact it. Usually, you know, not to be overly gendered, but women's clothing is less lapel mic compatible than like whatever a man's button up, you know. So you have to think about Mm -hmm. that stuff. You know, you have, uh, but but even if sometimes they'll just give you a little handheld, like a rock and roll show, like a Axl Rose mic. That's so inappropriate. Nobody knows how to speak into any of those things. Some two, somebody's got a two feet away. Everybody's inconsistent with it. I I wouldn't know what to do. That I know you're supposed to be right up on it, but you like, are be you really? Because right of your face, yeah. Maybe all day long they've been dealing with people who aren't up on it, so they got it turned up too high. So if you get up on it, then it sounds bad. Oh my god. Yeah, it's uh, it's hard. So hey. We're joking about audio stuff, but you know, I feel like too in in our industry, it's something you're going to run into maybe. So yeah. it's a possible job hazard. <laughs> oh gosh, <laughs> microphones. So I, I, you, even during our audio thing, I was, I think I joked about like I, I can't even just like play one guitar chord into a microphone and then play it back and have it sound great. I'm getting a good, lot better good. at this. I've learned learned a couple of tricks and stuff. One of them is just that if you, there's just so much you can do. Um, in post essentially you're like I think I got a good raw thing and I just needed to like you know pull up the gain and mess with the EQ and play with some stuff and it's like yeah it's not that hard to get but then it sounds like you know watching enough YouTube's like a really nice way to do it is like the double Mm. microphone thing like record it record it twice into two channels which even GarageBand is not particularly difficult Mm -hmm. to do I mean, it ups the game a little bit because it's like, gosh, you got to set up two mics and get them in the right positions and all that. But that really can, you know, you pan one to the left, pan one to the right and fiddle with it. And it's like, oh, that's, that's how they, how they get it. amazing yeah, sounds. Just doubling it, yeah. like makes it better somehow. Yeah. Double, it. double it. Doubling it. Um, yeah. yeah. We have some new announcements as well. We're announcing the... Um, the lifetime plan mm-hmm. for our Patreon. Yep. $38,000. Yes. You know, I just want to be upfront with the costs. You can be a a kind of lifetime supporter with all the perks of being a Shop Talk Show supporter. So it feels like a basically a discount. Feels good. Yeah. I mean, I think yeah. everyone agreed it was it was a, the good choice. So we're just doing it. So yeah, yeah. Just email me directly and I'll 
I'll handhold you through the process. Chris at gmail.com. Yeah. You know, but to, you got to have the money though. So got to have the money. 38,000 is what we want. That's great. Yeah. Wonderful. Looking for, can't wait. Um, can't wait. It has been a, uh, a month of rethinking pricing. I think, uh, did you, are you ready for the hot drama gavel to drop Chris? Indeed. Let's, let, let's do it. 37 signals, no stranger to the hot drama channel, uh, announced this, this gets me a little bit. I, I'm usually pretty divorced from like, from like uh, hot drama, but this one kind of gets me. They kind of, they launched a site called like once.com, I think is what it is. Right. So they bought it. That's a killer domain. Yeah. Well, they bought what they pay for that. Well, they're going to have to pay every year for it. Um, but they bought a domain. <laughs> <laughs> they bought a subscription to once.com. They bought a subscription to this domain name. <laughs> and they're yeah. talking about how like the sound SaaS model, uh, for nearly two decades, the SaaS model benefited landlords handsomely with routine player prayers and payers the, to the church of recurring revenue. Valuation shot to the moon on the backs of businesses subscribed at luxury prices for commodity services. Um, and they're basically mad at recurring revenue pricing screams, s- schemes on software. So they they say they're going to announce non-recurring pricing schemes for some future products or something. Uh, yeah, man. Right. So they sell you a chat app or something that you use internally to your company and you only pay once and you got it forever. They are so perfect at nailing these little things. This is water cooler conversation. I think... A lot of people, and this came up in our Discord too, are, are, there is too much subscription stuff. Like the fact that there's subscription, like every kid's learning thing I, on my phone. I pay a subscription for freaking cat food. I mean, like, and you were saying. It yeah, is. It's a lot. You have a, you have a kid phone app, right? Like a, you talk, sing with carrots. Or something. Yeah, right. Well, there's an there's one that we've we've had forever called Kidopia. That's like pretty good, but it's not so good that it needs to be a subscription. It really isn't. Right, right. And it's like a hundred dollars a year or something. So of course that's you know whatever. And then yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I really like this one called Singing Carrots. It's it's like a nice little app. It's clearly a little Firebase kind of kind of one. And you sing and it's a little bit like Guitar Hero for your voice, but not quite as exciting. But like things are little rectangles are falling down from the top of the browser window onto a keyboard telling you what note it is you should be hitting with your voice yeah, okay. and then you get it or you don't get it. That's just one of the features of it. But it's it's fun and it's fun to do with my kid who who's constantly saying she wants to be a singer when she grows great. up. I'm like, yeah, okay, well then train, you know? Great. Um, great. So we, we sign up for it and there's a lot of features that are locked because it's a SaaS app, so subscription deal. Yeah. Weekly. weekly that was the kicker 699 a week which you, you got to wonder is it like what was it just an experiment have they found that that the, the 699 thing looks like a good deal and then not that I know what a singing app should cost necessarily, but this was a very much a whim thing. Yeah. And I was really turned off by the weekly idea. It just seemed a little too like frequent that your card's getting nailed, you know, boom, 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 yeah, boom. That's a, I mean, that's a dollar a day to pay for Literally. a game. And I, yeah, it, no, it's exhausting. I mean, um, I always think of it in terms of Netflix's like, 
how many Netflixes of fun is this? You know, and in my mm, brain, sure. Netflix still costs eight dollars. It does not. It costs like seventeen dollars. Netflix costs two Netflix now. Oh gosh, so, really? Yeah, yeah. Netflix is <laughs> two Netflixes. Oh my gosh. But um, I so it's like Crunchyroll. That's a Netflix. Uh, Hulu. That's that's a Netflix. Disney Plus. That's a Netflix. You know. Oh yeah, Hulu can be really high too because it's that's for whatever reason that's the one I associate with like. If you want to do the TV, the live thing too, yeah, that's a player. I know YouTube TV maybe is that too. I don't know what, but I, for some reason I think of Hulu as that's the one for that. Because mm-hmm. usually in the fall, about this time, I get excited. Like maybe the, you know I'm going to watch a bunch of college football or something this year. I activate that, and it ends up being more like a hundred dollars. Yeah, yeah. To do the full cable kind of experience. And yeah. they don't even have a single plan that doesn't have any ads. Yeah. So then you're like, well, I want to watch like some dumb Alaska show where they, you know, try to get gold out of the ground in 2023 yeah. or something. TV, love it. Full of ads. Full of yeah. ads. You can't, even I'm paying $100. That's wild. wild. Suck it, you know? And then I get into the show and I'm like, you know what? I'd rather pay two ninety nine dollars on on Apple's thing to like own the show just because I want to make it through one episode without an ad. Yeah. For the love of God, you know? Yeah. No, I, I mean, you everywhere you turn. So I get where they're coming from. Uh, 37 signals. Okay. Yeah. We right? were talking about 37 signals. They're like, yeah, too many subscriptions. So, so when they come out with a message that says, we're going to sell software that you like that doesn't have subscriptions, of course, some people are going to be into that. But, but then at the same time, there's another way to feel feel isn't it? they have made millions on the subscription model Basecamp is literally synonymous with SaaS business like it is the it is the poster child for starting your bootstrapping your own SaaS it business is. it is that that charges monthly an exorbitant but price to change the change the goalpost now is a little like okay yeah okay you made millions bought a bought a literal f-ing race car and then you're like, we're changing, we're we're moving the goalposts. I, sorry, I just give me a break. Give me my a break. first start. The startup I worked at, the first one, yeah. Wufu, they they were successful because they charged monthly, right? Yeah. Then we go to to Survey Monkey. They're successful because they charge monthly. They are a public company now because they charge monthly. You know, it, it's not it wasn't greed based necessarily. I work for a company now, CodePen, that has subscriptions, yeah. and it feels very fair. If you you know if you're looking at like how is CodePen changed fundamentally in the last year? Am I getting new stuff because of our subscriptions? Well, you could argue that no, that you're that you're not. But I'll tell you how hard we have to work to keep CodePen online and fast and bug free and updated with with the changing browser landscape and all this stuff. It is an all day, every day job for a small team of human beings that needs to work. And, and your job's kind of like a subscription, right? Yeah. <laughs> we, have, we have to make payroll. <laughs> so like, I, yeah, I don't know. Like, is it possible that we sold a one-off fee for this and somehow we enough people buy it every single month that we could still make that payroll? Yeah, but it seems a little less solid. Yeah, you're uploading say, you stuff. Know? I'm uploading my pens to the cloud, right? Uh, the code is going somewhere that's being stored on a physical de- hard disk somewhere that yeah. that has to that is being charged per month or per usage. It is being connected to via an internet connection that is 
uh, cost per month. It is connected. Yeah, I'm being charged. You're per being month. charged, or the hosting company or AWS, like being charged per connection or whatever. Yeah, it's also like a literal. You know, some server is serving that. It's not just like you don't like TCP IP into a hard drive and get a file. You like TCP IP into a server, which fetches the file and returns it back. I just like, anyway, just the idea that like everything's a one-time. So to, to feel called out. Cause that's how I'm charging. It's just doesn't, it's like, come on. I don't, I'm not. Yeah. I don't know. It's not quite what they're saying, but they're kind of saying it, you know, yeah. the church of recurring revenue. Is that me? Am I, am I the priest? Yeah. Now am I bad? Cause I'm doing this. It's just how it feels, even though it doesn't say that. Uh, and I don't, I don't love that. You know, I'm not a greedy person cause I'm trying to do this. I'm trying to run a, a, a normal company here with normal kind of parameters using normal whatever yeah. and, and and also you know if you stop paying the software stops working boom you're evicted sure like that works some that's the case sometimes you don't get the features you're paying for anymore but we've tried to be really cool about that particularly about CodePen we won't take away a whole lot from you when you die even your private stuff even stays private and mm-hmm. whatever your assets are still there it's like it's it, we're not trying to evict you yeah Anyway, no, I mean, even when you like, quote unquote, buy, I mean, like I bought Adobe credits for this stock photo or something like their stock photo library. And then they started like taking them away because I guess I was just money was hanging out in their account and they didn't want that because that's like a tax liability or whatever. So they just started de- like whatever, deleting my credit. So it's just even if it's stuff you buy, it doesn't exist forever. Yes. <laughs> Anyway, it, like there's bit rot there. Very. I guess I'm just like, what are the what are the options? Okay, let's say I don't want to do use or, or per a subscription pricing. I just like you have ad based. Oh yeah, every developer I know loves ads and doesn't have an ad blocker installed. So ad based doesn't work. We've already killed that model. Okay, now we're mad at subscriptions. Pay once. I you know I think it works for companies like. Tailwind is doing this kind of famously for Tailwind UI, you know, like charging 300 bucks or whatever for access to a bunch of components. I think that's great. So they're doing a onesie kind of thing? They're yeah, doing a onesie thing do. for them. But, but Do they say that you get updates forever kind of thing? I think you get updates on those components, but I think you probably have to buy into the new set or whatever if they, they come out okay. with a new set or something. I don't know. Um, but then there's also like... Um, you know, template sites or something. I'm thinking of like Invato Toots or Net Tuts or whatever. <laughs> Was it? I uh, used to do that. Um, but like WordPress themes. I just had to email them the other day because I got a $200 charge on my credit card. Mm-hmm. And it was after I had used their service just in the last week or two to buy. Um, I bought a WordPress plugin that for some reason I really wanted and was only on their service. And I was like, that's a fair, I'll buy your thing. I don't, I like paying for software, you know? And then the $200 charge hit and I'm like, hmm, what was that? And it turns out that the year before I had signed up for a, I think it's some kind of like unlimited plan or something, you know, like, Mm -hmm. you know, and it just hit again and I was very surprised and I didn't, you know, but whatever. I emailed them, they just took care of it immediately and with grace and it was fine. But yeah, even there, they're like, it's, it behooves us to sell a, a subscription instead of a, 
a one-off kind of thing. And yeah, you know, I don't, I don't really blame them, but it, it can be surprising. And I'll tell you, we we re, we rebuild automatically, of course, because we have subscriptions on CodePen, and that is some of our support. Is like I didn't realize that you were going to rebuild me or something, even though we try to make it pretty clear yeah. when you sign monthly. up that it's a monthly yeah. or annual thing. Uh, oh well. Well, and then like so, there's. There was like attention based, like we had coil, which shut down, right? So like you could just drop me pennies from your coil and that would have been a cool way to transfer money silently and no cops involved or whatever. Yeah, so that's, that's Dunzo now, right? Yeah, I think we got Dunzo, the... but Interledger still exists, I think. I think that's there's people still working on that. Well, but... the point of it all along anyway was the web payments API, which I f- did feel like was super cool. Or not, maybe that I'm saying it wrong. Yeah, yeah. But maybe it was, because of course, web payments is, you know, payments work on the web already, right? But there was this way that you could have like this wallet and pay for things without telling the website much about you. Mm-hmm. It was like an, an anonymous way to payment, but it, it, it wasn't, um, don't, don't think crypto that wasn't necessarily involved. It could have been, but it didn't have to be. I think there were crypto people involved, but I don't think it's necessary. But, but just the idea of like, uh, we can just transfer money, a tip jar or like a square cashy kind of thing without getting square involved or whatever. Right. Like just for some reason, let's say you're on shoptalkshow.com and you wanted to, um, most podcasts offer this for free and I think that's fine, but like the ability to download the MP3, but let's say for some reason we decided to protect it or something behind some kind of paywall. And if you gave us $2, then you could download all the MP3s you wanted. Well, you know, now we'd have to in, do Stripe and have a login and yada, yada, yada. This, this API was like, you could just click a button, send the owner of the website $2, have them know nothing about you other than this user has paid $2. And it would remember that even because of the wallet IDs and stuff. And then you'd be able to, to, to access that paywalled content. And I always thought, that is actually awesome. That is cool. That's so cool. And I think that's still, it's not dead or anything because it was trying to be done as a web standard, mm-hmm. which is totally the way to do this rather than just do it as one company. You know, they were trying to open the doors for, for lots of companies to do this. I always thought that was kind of admirable. Yeah. There's uh, there's usage-based pricing, which we've actually thought about for Luro. Like, uh, but, but it's for what's hard is like, okay, you use 10 Florps this month or 14 Florps. What's a Florp yeah. cost? You know, like... What's a lot of florps? What's a little florps? You know, we don't know yet, you know? So it's this uh, interesting, I don't know, interesting world we're kind of straddling. So, um, you know, I, I'm, you know, there's venture backed with node and likes, but that's how you get free products, <laughs> you know? Uh, there's uh-huh. dollar uh, apps that have, or free apps that have microtransactions. I mean, when is that what we want for websites? Oh, you want to run four florps of work? That's a another dollar, you know. Maybe I've always been a fan of advertising, except for that I don't like that it's one of the like two options essentially. You know, like there should be more ways to make money. There's stuff. Just Stockholm syndrome, yeah, a bit with it. Yeah. So anyway, they're they're good at the kind of like poking at something that people are already talking about. Yeah. So so credit there. I just don't like being called out for like running a business in the way that they clearly benefited highly from all that kind of thing. Yeah. And, you know, I also think that like, it's constantly negative with, you know, like there's, all, it's never like this. What do we love in the world? We're going to talk about that. It's always like, you know, what sucks this. And I have something great to you know about who that. Sucks the 
sucky go to office people. They suck. Yeah. TypeScript sucks, Dave. Oh, so, that's a, their other one. <laughs> yeah, they did it at the same time, which, which is wonderful. You know, I've, I've heard Adam Wathan tweet this too. He's the tailwind guy. He says, anytime there's a big flare up about people hating on tailwind or whatever, sales go up <laughs> for tailwind. <laughs> so he's like, bring on the drama. No wonder he's in, incentivized to have those kind of online fights go. And never do you hear him be like, hey, community, could you simmer down? Could you respect each other hey, more? Calm down because I'm swimming in a pile of cash. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Yeah, he says, no, fight all you want. Sales go up when you fight. Ugh. And do you think that the 37 Signals get some free press when people are fighting about anything? More people have signed up for once.com because they're fighting about taste TypeScript. You better as hell they do. Yeah, I almost started using TypeScript because they didn't like it. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, that was the thing. It was I, I guess it was Hotwire, one of their, uh, it's kind of a uh, turbo link. Make any to, website into yeah. a into a into a single page app kind of thing, which I've kind of been a fan of because I think it's a neat model. It's like instead of re-architecting the world, why don't when you click on an anchor link, it goes and fetches that content and then plops it onto the existing page, but gives you nice APIs for doing that in case you wanted to do transitions or whatever. A classic, you know, just to tie everything to a podcast page, just because I, those of you that are listening have probably visited the website of a podcast page, you could click from episode episode and have the audio player not stop, mm-hmm. which you you can't do that on another kind of page, you know? So, so, so if you really care about that ability, you kind of, that's a use case for needing what's called a single page app. Kind of one of the dumbest names. I hate, I hate that. SPA. Yeah. Single page app. When you start, if you're starting web development today, what is goes through your mind when you think that? Like a single page I bet you app. need a spreadsheet of three-letter acronyms. You're just like SPA, MPA, CRA, LCP, TBT, FCP, LCP. Oh, my God. Just that one in particular. It's like it doesn't mean that it's one page and you just scroll down it and there's no, no links to click. It's yeah. That's what it seems like it means. But no. Yeah. No. Yeah. One we call those one pagers, not to be confused with single page apps. Uh, we get we get so um, distracted. That's my fault. But but so the the hot wired thing, they have a big they put up a it's not even a PR because they just merged it. It was just a remove TypeScript from this entire project. The problem is it was open source and they had a lot of people that were excited about it and it was in TypeScript and all of a sudden it's just not anymore without any call for comments or anything because yeah. the whole comment thread is like, dude, I have three PRs up in TypeScript with features that are, I think are pretty good and could use thought. Like, so cool, thanks for the heads up, you know? Like, yeah, no one wanted to discuss this, so you just kind of sent it. Yeah. yeah. And because it's a library that you use, that tends to be the kind of thing that you do make TypeScript because then you get all the like being able to hover over stuff and know how to use the API because you get the type ahead stuff. So like I'm not even the world's biggest fan of TypeScript either, either. Mm-hmm. But I feel like if you're making like public code, it gen- tends to be the kind of thing you actually do want to make TypeScript because of the the safety and making it easier to use the APIs of your software. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't know. I've started seeing TypeScript as like my favorite color is purple. I love purple. I wear purple all the time. Everything's purple. My house is purple, you know, and you're like, 
God, that's a lot of purple, but that's not my style, but cool on you. Love you. You know, like, <laughs> like I, lo- sure. I love that for you, you know? Um, so it's, I love that for you. I that's love a- that for you. I love uh-huh. TypeScript. I love that for you. So like when somebody chooses to use it, I understand why they do it. Cause they, that, that was a craving deep in their bones to just have types, you know, and just be fighting with their editor on a daily basis. That was just, <laughs> just they, they needed just, it. Like web development is too easy. So they just wanted to make their whole life weird and purple, <laughs> whatever. I do think it is somewhat interesting when somebody rips it out. Like, like when like Svelte is like, we're just not, we're not going to use it. Like we're not doing TypeScript. We're doing JS dot comments and it's a lot easier for us. I think that's cool. I do think it's extra weird when somebody rips it out, though, of an existing project. I, I just think that's like, that's a big choice, you know? Like, without like being like, and I'm surprised it's like, and maybe it was, but I'm surprised it's not like a major version number. You know what I mean? Like, a, a like that that seems like a major change you would want to discuss with your, your crew, you know? I don't know. That seems like a RFC situation, you know? Right. Maybe that's, I think maybe that's part of the resentment in a way is that it's a blog post before anything else, you know, like it was designed to be a public talking point, not a technological internal discussion and change. Yeah. Like it seemed like designed to stir up controversy rather than just be this technical decision. Which we're talking about now. We got baited into it, man. That's whoops. So, but yeah, we really did. And I try to, you know, I have no, I'm not going to justify that. We just, that's whoops. Well, no, it's whatever. We got to fill an hour so. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah. I mean, I have literal mugs printed with a hashtag hot drama logo yeah. on the side of it. So and I'm high on nitrous oxide. So that's great. <laughs> <laughs> uh, funny. This episode of Shop Talk Show is brought to you by Front End Masters. That's frontendmasters.com. But add slash sale to the end of that URL. You're going to end up at their exploration sale page. This is a big deal. It's a hundred bucks off. So brass tacks here, people. This is a $390 annual membership to the best learning platform on the entire web. But a hundred bucks off, so it's only $290. The best deal you're going to find at Front End Masters. It's just definitely the best place to learn web technology stuff. Is your company switch into TypeScript, you better take these classes. You need to need a job and need to learn React, you better use these classes. You want to level up your CSS, use front-end master's classes. What's so cool about them is that everything is so well designed. They have learning paths, for example, if you're trying to level up and to become a professional senior web developer, take the professional learning path. Take all the courses that they recommend for that, and it's going to get you there. Or you need to learn something specific, hone in and learn something specific. They have stuff for beginners, professional, and experts. And you know, if you're listening to this show, you're probably a little bit up the ladder already. That's kind of my guess. There's stuff on, I mean, I've been in this game for a long time. There's lots of stuff on front end master that's like, whoa, I need to dial down the notch a little bit. They have that expert level stuff and that intermediate level stuff that not a lot of other learning platforms have that tend to focus on just the beginner stuff. The beginner stuff is there, but there's higher level stuff as well. It's just so good. Their video play 
player is so good. Everything's like searchable, even when you're in the video looking for specific parts. It's just so amazing. The teachers are the best people in the entire industry that somehow they've convinced to come and give courses on this kind of stuff. Uh, Frontend Masters is the best, and it's their big sale. It's a hundred bucks off a yearly plan right now. Go to frontendmasters.com/sale. Uh, well, just to bring things down a little bit, we'd be remiss if we didn't uh, mention that uh, the fairy godmother of the web, Molly Halshog. I'm saying it wrong. Molly, anyway, I'm sure you've all seen the news, has died at 60. Mm. Too young. Too really, young. Really, really a really a bummer for her. Lots of, you know, Bruce Lawson, Eric Meyer, both had really great remembrances. I think we'll see a lot more come in. A lot of people knew her. She was a, she loomed large. It says in a lot of these, I didn't really know this about her until then, it was, it was um, writ or was co-author of 30 books. Mm. About wow. the web stuff, so she's like kind of like Rachel Andrew too, just incredibly prolific at contributing to the to the web platform. Probably the web wouldn't be what it is. You know, those early standards people really deserve a lot of credit for just for just yelling at browsers <laughs> enough to be like, you need to work together. And today we still benefit from that. It is better today than it ever has been, mm-hmm. and it's because web standards won, and we need to be vigilant about that. Yeah, there, there's kind of a story where she like yelled at Bill Gates, like. I think to his face or something to like fix the browsers and fix IE. And so, I mean, it's, I don't know. I think that's like, uh, I think she has an amazing legacy for web standards. Uh, If you weren't alive during all that, it was, it was hard times. You'd like open Firefox and it would be super different than IE, you know? And then WebKit came along and that was super different too. You're just kind of like, ping-ponging bugs around, you know, just, and and it was Mm. kind of a weird nightmare, but it all more or less got solved. And so, um, right. While making it better at the same time, you know, it wasn't just like the only thing we care about is interoperability. It's like the stuff was evolving and, and happening. It was a complicated time that I, it was in, she was before my time, really. Mm-hmm. We, I had met her a couple of times, but I'm not going to do a remembrance because I just didn't know her that well. Yeah. But while I was starting to go to a lot of conferences, was she was, she was still, still doing them to some degree, I think. Mm-hmm. I will say something that I haven't heard yet that I feel like I feel a little nervous about saying, but I'm going to say anyways, that she, she there was some mental illness stuff going on there. I don't know how related it was to her physical health, but probably a little bit related. Yeah, I think it and was. And that yeah. at some points of her life, I think it made her kind of hard to deal with or something or 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 off-putting as, as I that was un, unfortunately because I didn't know her that well and I knew her only at the time where that illness had already started. I found her to be, perhaps in my young ignorance, kind of an off-putting person. And I always kind of held her at arm's length because I was like, wow, you're too much. Which is too bad because I think I got the impression, especially from reading like Bruce Lawson's one, that she liked to party, you know? Yeah. She was hard living in a way that maybe at that time I probably would have resonated with to some degree. Like yeah. I would have liked to friggin' throw down with Molly. <laughs> that would have been rad, but maybe didn't uh, contribute positively to her life yeah. in the end. I think she she was a firebrand just you know, passionate people get into do a lot, you know, burn hot. Burns and, hot. And then I think, you know, I think her health, uh, that is, 
my experience too is uh, I think her health really dominated her life in in the later years, you know, um, recent years. And yeah. so, and that's hard. Like that, you know, it's like hard when your health or mental health is overwhelming you, you know? So it's just, it's uh, as somebody who I don't know her, I can't help. I can't like, Hey, you want to hang out? You know, like, um, mm. let's catch up. So that, that, but it was, yeah. I mean, I think, you know, I, I hope it seemed like she was um, having a hard time the last few years. So I, I hope she she is you know resting in peace as they stay. But um, yeah, yeah so. very much that. But also, I, I think it was it Bruce Lawson's post. So like, I think we have an opportunity to learn about her life and carry on her legacy and and really, you know, like make the web something awesome. You know, don't just give in to uh, just, I don't know, trends or corporations, like make it something good for everybody. And that works for everybody. Hell yeah. Uh, we have some questions, Dave, that have people generously have written in. You can do that at any time at Co, of course, at shoptalkshow.com. Yep. We have big ask a question button right there at the top here. Brian uh, Reich writes in, uh, where are all the web component people hiding? <laughs> Good question. Uh, I manage a small a software team for a small organization that provides a very specific SaaS solution. It was built 18 years by a lone cowboy. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, and we've got all the challenges that uh, make that or challenges that that scenario probably conjures in your brain. Vanilla JS front end uh, that any attempt to glom on a modern framework seems impossible and not worth the effort. Mm. Uh, we have mature product desires like enforcing design consistency and UI, dry code, delivering new UI fast. Okay, okay. Um, I want some components in my life. Um, enter web components. Web component API is simple, standard, and supported. I can drop web components in my code base and uh, it still has uh that still has dead code related to Netscape Navigator, yikes, uh, lying mm. around. Uh, and it doesn't solve all the problems, but it solves our problems. Um, as a higher, more full stack, uh, we always ask what they've done with web components. I'm shocked that the number of people don't even know what we're talking about. It's like React mm. is JavaScript. I'm confident most people could pick up web components quickly, but I'm shocked uh, and dismayed that so few people haven't uh, even heard of a really great API that's been available for half a decade. Meanwhile, lots of these folks are telling us they're using jQuery for DOM manipulation. And well, that's the point of the interview where my brain goes, well, about time to hit the old dusty trail. So that's Brian from hmm. Central Pencil Tucky. Brian, anti-jQuery Brian. Come on, buddy. Well, it's I will say, I get Brian, when you show up into a repo and there's still jQuery, you're like, oh, old friend, yeah, hello. Yeah, I, <laughs> wow. Yeah, totally. What are I we mean, doing I get that. <laughs> the industry trail thing where you're like, you know what? It's actually past my bedtime. Uh, <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. But uh, yeah, just with this really old vanilla JavaScript thing, it's kind of like yeah, anything to to help might be kind of worth it. That, that, that seems like web components could be a, uh, a stepping stony kind of thing because you don't have to go all in on them. That's Unlike a plus, right? A, a big like, framework. You're not going to convert this thing to Next.js, dude. It's not happening. <laughs> yeah. You can baby step it though. Yeah. Can't you do really small stuff? Can't like 
like just like find the simplest thing like the footer or something. Mm-hmm, Although mm-hmm. that might not be the best use case because you, you you probably benefit from something that could use encapsulated styling and or some interactivity that you're trying to encapsulate. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's fair though. Would you or would you would you make a footer a web component? I think a footer is a great one. I mean, at least like boom, you have it. Boom, consistency. Boom, roll it out. Yeah, pretty easy grep to roll out too. You know, like just. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, whatever, find ID equals footer and replace it. So what it. would you be thinking about if you were going to do the footer? And let's say this footer is very basic. It's just, it's just, you know, like the three columns of links and a logo or something. You, you wouldn't want to hurt like rendering, right? Would you ensure that it's a server side rendered beast or like it's so far down the page, who cares? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's not going to be first paint, you know? I mean, you may get like some layout shift or something without declarative shadow DOM. You could go down that route if you wanted. I probably just wouldn't, you know? Um, I, I would just kind of, I, I would probably go bake things and then enhance the components later. Does that make sense? I'd, I'd probably like just mow the grass and then go through and make things better to use a yard lawn care analogy. Yeah. I just feel, it feels weird to me that you'd convert the thing to a web component and get nothing, but have it be slightly worse rendering like that. Yeah. It's like a net loss. Yeah. It you know? seems like somebody didn't think that through, huh? Google. No. Um, <laughs> yeah. I think like the, the like desire to have things like server side rendered is pretty new, you know, like everyone was happy making JavaScript websites until like three years ago or something, you know, and then all of a sudden SSR became a big freaking deal, you know? Um, and it is a big deal. I think like what's, you know, if you divorce the problems of page speed and in architecture or whatever, the thing you want is components, right? And so you can, web components are great at solving the components. And then if you want other stuff, now you need some architecture to get that other stuff, like whatever, like server-side rendering and stuff like that. I, I think they're great. Uh, you know, you could look at like whatever weird javascript you have hanging around and web componentize it you know i mean you can make a web component for your weird netscape navigator code i mean you really can just kind of get this stuff and get it all encapsulated and i mean it's the things that don't need to talk to each other we're throwing around the word weird i'm like what's weird about it is it actually weird is it weird because there's state being kept in the dom or something or that a click over here changes something way way over here or something and the way that those talk to each other is confusing or error prone or something is that what's weird yeah that does make things a little harder it does you now you put the dom and some shadow dom stuff now you need a way to communicate events or something you really are changing the universe there a little bit but so. it might result in better architecture instead of like click button apply 15 classes all throughout the dom maybe it's click button emit an event up and then all these other things are waiting for the uh super click event you know um and then they're like oh super click happened i'll apply the class to open or close or whatever you know so um i think like you might end up with some better architecture patterns overall you know um it, it's tough to, without knowing exactly what the piece of software is, like where you would benefit the most. But, you know, I mean, if you're yeah. just thinking like there's a lot of components, I would even recommend not building your own. I mean, shoelace is great. You could just <laughs> kind of see if those ones work 
to replace your components as is, you know, and just see if like, okay, cool. Mm. Great. We did that without even coding. That would be well, awesome. Especially as enforcing design consistency. That's I mean, Brian actually said that. Yeah. That's the one that you want. That would be a great use case of maybe pluck one off the shelf and see if that buys you the consistency. Great idea. Yeah. I mean, honestly, this would be like, I like what I, at Luro, we like, uh, <laughs> you know, we like making our own stuff, you know, but to be honest, like if I was ever going to like greenfield something, I would probably consider something like shoelace just because it has a lot of the components you need, a card, a you know, checkbox, that, that sounds sketchy, but uh, like, not sketchy for them, but just like, you know, I, I don't, I can just code a normal checkbox, but. No wonder, right? Especially if you, if you are more of a backend person and you're building a new app. Mm-hmm. Oh my God. Can you like, I'm almost like, yes, you should definitely pick something off the shelf. Yeah, like Please, I mean, like yeah. they have like a tree component, you know, for like like making a tree. And if you've never written one of those, it's not fun. Uh, it's just not fun. <laughs> Sorry, like writing a tree. Com- I guess with details, you could do it pretty cool, but like it's just not fun. So like, don't do it, you know, unless you want to. So well, speaking of Lero, a little launch, a little launch day, huh? Well, I was also gonna say if you're overhauling your uh, your site. Uh, Yep, do a Luro today. I've been working on some taglines if you're interested. Um, Actually, it seems weirdly perfect for Brian. Like, <laughs> you should make some parts of your app into components and then start tracking them with Luro and, and, and work on getting those adoption numbers for those components higher. Oh, that's pretty perfect. Yeah, so the, the big thing that Luro does now is we, we get your components. And, and Chris, you actually had some good feedback. You're like, it takes a long time to add components. We fix that. It takes seconds now. We took it from like 23 clicks down to like three clicks to add a new component. Um, So that's cool. But um, like, or that's like a manual component. If you have a Figma design system, we can import your Figma and get all your components um, like, like boom, like full design system kind of site thing. But then you go and crawl your pages. We crawl your pages, go find them. And then you tell us the CSS selector of your component that's uh, uh, on a page that you we've crawled. And we'll go find it and count it. And so, like, if you you have all this tech debt that you're trying to pay down, you can file that as, like, a what we're calling, like, a legacy component. And you can just be like, cool, we're going to go tear down all the legacy components and, and mow it down. And um, it would be probably good. So step into a Luro today. Luro! Make it a blockbuster night. See, that didn't work. (laughs) Sorry, I knew when I started it, it was not going to work. Snap into a Luro. Luro! Snap into a Luro! (laughs) Nah, not quite it, huh? No. No, maybe. We'll keep going. Keep it already. Well, Brian, good luck there. Brian says he's from central Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania. Very special, special place over there. Uh, All right. So let's see who else, who else here? Mr. Mr. Tim here has a good one. Tim Bowen writes in about thinking about um, what we used to call resets that, that stopped being a good name because resets started not resetting things. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That started with normalize, which is probably over 10 years old now, I would think. And then sanitize came out that was, had its own level of popularity, but was a little, a little bit more opinionated here and there because normalize had this philosophy that it would not 
touch anything that didn't need that didn't have a cross-browser inconsistency. The whole point of normalize was like, I'm just dealing with cross-browser inconsistencies. Where sanitize is like, well, if you're going to bother to do this much, you could do a little more. Mm, yeah. Sanitize had the, for example, it had the box model reset in there that people used. Um, whereas I don't think normalize did because it wasn't inconsistent across browsers, you know? Right, right. Uh, little things like that. Uh, I, you know, I was I was playing with one today. I, I CSS feature called hanging punctuation. You know it, Dave? Oh, um, I don't actually. No. Well, imagine that you had a block quote and you, and you decided to put a quote at the front of that block mm-hmm. quote and a closing mm-hmm. quote at the end. A, I'd highly recommend you do that with CSS and pseudo elements in the content colon open quote and content colon close quote pseudo elements they're just kind of cool because they get um internationalized oh nice yeah so if the if it's you know like i I, isn't it french or something where they do the down quote they do the quote on the floor or something yeah and there's ones with like little tiny double brackets yeah japanese does that instead do they okay that's kind of nice why not get that for free um but you know so imagine then the you know uh, text is ragged right Mm -hmm. and justified left at least um, you know, LTR text, English, Spanish, French, whatever. So that quote then will start aligned left just where all the letters start. But if you say hang, hanging punctuation, the punctuation will hang off into the left gutter or the, any space to the left and let the first letter after the quote be the thing that's aligned. Mm. And I think if you look at two examples, you're like the one that's has hanging punctuation is better. It just looks better. It just looks like classier typography, like you're reading a book with good type in it or something. Yeah, interesting. Safari supported it since 2016. No other browser does. But it's one of those things where you just throw it in your CSS and you're like, well, then browsers that support it get it and the ones that don't don't and who cares you know it's not it's not a it's not that important of a of a thing and i think of this in relation to tim bowen's question because it's like if i'm going to use a reset i like it when stuff like that is in there Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. sort of like i bet you didn't think of this defaults like (laughs) like those kind of things like yeah right and so everybody has their own little set. The problem is if I look at yours, if you were, even if Dave is highly respected, a fellow friend developer made a head, I would look through yours and be like, no, yeah, it's a clever idea. No, no, no. Eh, maybe, you know, like I'd be so opinionated. That's great. I love it. Cause I saw, I saw this question and I was like, normalize. Okay. Sanitize. Eh, I don't, I don't really use those anymore. Um, one I do like is Andy Bell has a modern reset modern CSS reset. Um, I can put it here in the show notes, but okay. Yeah, um, exactly. Like, let me, and, uh, I'm just going to criticize the hell out of you, Andy. Let's look, I'm going to go through. Yeah. This. Well, I, I really <laughs> want it because my immediate thing was uh, what I was going to say was like, I like it. I would also just copy paste only the parts I want. <laughs> so I would, we'll, we'll go through each section of Andy's one. He has starts off with box sizing rules. Okay. I'll, I'm going to take those. take those. Those are good. Removing yep. default margin, body H1, uh, 2, 3, 4, P, figure quote, DLD. That's a weird list. Where's the LI? I don't know. There's some weird stuff in there. Like that's just too narrow of a list. And like why, where's the H5 and H6? You're going to put four in there, but not the other two. That's weird. But I do like margin zero because I hate the margin top on those. I hate margin top as a default. Yeah. 
Yeah. yeah. So I kind I a little bit like it. Okay. Uh, remove styles on UL OL elements with a list role. Um, so UL mm. role equals list, OL role equals list, list style none. I would do it the exact opposite. It'd be like if it doesn't have role equals list, then it then it should have it. But if you specifically said this is a list, then it should have the list style. Yeah. Yeah. I kind of like have you ever seen the one where it says like UL and then bracket in brackets it just says class. Like if you've decided to style this one, then it says list style none because it's like probably you're going to rip that list style off. I do like that. I oh, do I like that's that. That's clever. Okay, let's get back to here we go. Next one is uh, set core root defaults HTML focus within, within scroll behavior smooth. What? I don't know that HTML could not have focus. I don't I don't understand the focus within part. It looks clever, but I don't understand it yet. It maybe has a reason, but I'll tell you, I, I'm already nixing this one because I got so much feedback one time when I put this on CSS tricks without the focus within. So we'll see if that fixes it. You know what? I bet it does actually, because the the thing I got criticized about when you hit command F and you do a find on page Mm. for Dave or something, it would use this smooth scrolling between when you like, you know, hit next, 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 next. It would smooth scroll down and it felt too slow to people. And you, there's no mechanism to change how fast the scroll behavior is when you use this in CSS. Mm. But I wonder if when you're focused then on the command F window that the HTML has lost focus and then doesn't smooth scroll. Mm. Yeah. I bet that's the solution to that. It's actually kind of clever. I, I might take this one. I, okay. So you're maybe, you're maybe. We got oh, it. maybe. Because it depends on how it feels. Because... I don't know if smooth scrolling, it's just, it's a touchy subject, I feel like. Yeah, well, it would be cool if we could define our scroll, you know, that would be kind of cool. But anyway, I realize that's probably a hard problem. Okay, set core body defaults. I'm going to read all these for body because it's a big one, right? Okay. Min height, 100 VH. So, Uh, nope, DVH. Okay. Text rendering, optimize speed. I need examples. That does that seems like a no to me. Line height 1.5. You'd put that on the HTML element, not the body element, because that's the actual root. Ooh, spicy. Okay. All right. Okay. I like that. I like that. Um, you know what's funny is I went to a blog with line height 1.4 or one it was 140 percent but i'm not going to judge them mm-hmm. it was line height 1.4 oh rough 140 yeah. percent uh, was like oh gosh it, i felt like i was reading a fake website dude it was it was <laughs> just like this is so wrong if you put it up to 1.6 you'd be like credible you'd be a credible news source but anyway the problem is what this is I like having it more than one. Mm-hmm. 1.5 is a little much for me, but we'll see. But it, the, what it screws up then is it it, um, it cascades to the headers, and it's always too much for a header. For sure. So if you're going to sure, do this, sure. then you have to you have to put it on the body and on the headers back down to one or so. You need to put the headers down to 1.2 yeah, or whatever. So don't do one or the other. Yeah. Okay. All right. Here we have. Um, this is might be where I'm out. Uh, let's see here. Elements that don't have a class get default styles. A, not class, which is what kind of that hack you are saying, mm. is tech dec- text decoration skip ink auto. A, elements that don't have a class get default styles. So any link that has a class would get uh, text decoration. Text. This is so strange. I don't get it. 
Like I get what tech, text decoration skip ink auto. I think that's what it already has, but I, that not that unusual? I don't like the skipping. But the point is that there's an underline under the links and then it, like if there's a P or a J or something, the line doesn't go straight through it. It kind of skips the descender. I, I think it's a nice look, but I thought it just did that anyway. Yeah. Um, yeah, that, that would it. be, um, yeah, I, I, I don't like the skip ink personally. So whatever undoes that, um, which maybe this does. Uh, make images easy to work with. Image picture, max width 100, display block. I like that. Uh, yeah, although, you know, yeah. Okay, I'll take it. Because there's always that line height thing with images that if you forget to display block them, there's like a little space behind them when you put a, a border around it or something. Yeah. I hate that. It's so annoying. But it, it, you know, images are display in line by default. You're saying you'd never ever want a row of IMGs. I guess that's true. I never do. But why the picture element too? Is picture not display block? I don't think it's display block by default. Okay, this is a good one then. This is good. We're going to keep it. Yeah, the image thing is interesting because you know, I'll find myself like doing like paragraph margin top minus 0.63 rim, you know, like, and I'm like, Oh no, it's the, the stupid image has extra stuff on it. So I need to fix that Mm -hmm. Uh, input button text area, select font inherit. So inherit fonts for text inputs. Okay. All right. right. I like it. I like this one a lot, especially for yeah, well, you'd have to see if it if it ever interfered, then I would start scoping it just a smidge. Like, what? How weird is it in a select? That though, that one seems like the weirdest one. Yeah, but I like that it's font inherit, not just font family, mm-hmm. which means you probably get the size too and the line height and other things going on with the text. That seems smart to me. That's smart. Okay. All right. Uh, and then remove animations uh, when prefers uh, reduced motion. So app media prefers reduced motion. HTML. Focus within scroll behavior auto, not smooth anymore. And then star, star before, star after, animation duration 0.1 milliseconds, animation, animation count one, uh, transition duration 0.1, uh, and yeah, scroll behavior you're just auto. Nuking scroll nuking, behavior, nuking animations, and animations, so, and transitions. Um, I like it. I, yes. I, I mean, let's keep it. Yeah, so this is a good one. I would probably say There's just that big nuance. I think you've read it a million times before. That's like, just because you say reduced motion doesn't mean you want no motion. That's not what I'm saying. I just want it reduced. Yeah, there's interesting too, like like uh, opacity isn't a big deal, you know? <laughs> uh, yeah, line 65 there, he's missing one space before the scroll behavior. It makes me think this wasn't prettiered perfectly. Oh, Andy, Burn. just uh, come on. What are you doing? Andy, we love you, man. No. This is a good job here. In fact, I just linked up. They did a set studio, which is Andy's uh, mm-hmm. studio mm-hmm. thing. Did one of those a really nice. Um, this is not your viewport or something. Or what is it? Viewports.fyi or something like that. Yeah. Yep. yep. It was just kind of proof once again that there's two billion screen sizes or something, you know, like they just did two, two days worth of data on one site. And there was like thousands or tens of thousands of screen sizes. It was just great to be reminded those like, yeah, don't, uh, don't pick three breakpoints anymore yeah and just write all your css to these strict breakpoints not a good plan i'll prove it to you or gigabrain use three breakpoints what no i'm just kidding (laughs) (laughs) 
Uh, I don't even mind the three breakpoints, but I, I mind that if you just, you can write them really rigidly so that nothing changes, nothing, until you that breakpoint hits. Mm-hmm. And then you change everything. That's what's dumb. It's like you can have three main breakpoints maybe, yeah, but you can still write other code, font sizing and spacing and stuff that's a little more fluid than that where things are changing with in between those breakpoints. It's like those concepts can coexist, let's say. Somebody, uh, the most convincing argument, I, I don't remember where it was, but it was basically like just listed all the viewports for current Apple devices or whatever. And it was something like 83 different viewports or something like that. <laughs> just Apple just only. Just Apple yeah. devices. And I just was like, see, oh like my God. if one company who's like only has five product lines still like has no consistency, like clearly you can, I, I wish I could find it. Um, Apple viewports. I feel like that would be a cloud for sort of blog post. Um, well, as a direct answer for Tim Bowen here, I'd say that, no, I don't use those things typically anymore. And I don't, I don't, I think a lot of people would answer that they don't either. It's like, it feels less necessary. I feel like there's less cross-browser differences these days. We need to normalize or sanitize for. I also thought that as a starting point, it always kind of seems smart. And then as you go, the more you actually style things, the less you need those. Because you didn't, you know, the point of these was to like style stuff that maybe you forgot to style. But as you're applying styles, that is doing the work of normalizing it. Mm -hmm. I I always kind of felt that way and didn't know how to articulate it. I don't think I nailed it there, but like styling is normalizing. Right. You didn't want to like overwrite the the file, but then like with normalize, it was like, yeah, just overwrite the file. Like just, we just set it as a baseline, but you can set it to whatever you want. But I always just kept it in a its own partial. And so anyway, I could probably clean up my CSS and start somewhere. I'm also interested in open props, just getting into that. Not like I I like what Adam does, but I just like, oh, hey, look, somebody went through and made a bunch of variables. I'll just kind of start here. So that's interesting to me. They are really cool. Yeah. I don't know. I, I think at first I was like, I don't know. Like I maybe it was my aversion to the few times I've tried using utility styles primarily that I, it just didn't click with me. And then I was like, oh, more of that. I don't need more of that. But I'll something is different about it that maybe it was because it was so easy, right? Like there's no, you need to set up no build process. Mm-hmm. There's no NPM install. There's no anything. You just, you just link up the open props style sheet or the parts of it that you want. And then you just start using those variables as if you defined them. Yeah. It did click with me. I haven't shipped anything major in it, but I was like, I like this. Yeah, my thing was just kind of like, for stuff I don't want to figure out, like easings, you know, that's pretty cool. Uh, You know, the font stuff is, is, I don't know, weight nine, weight one. I don't super need that. I can just set the weight. But, um, you know, you're starting with variables. I think variables, CSS variables is like types or tests or something. It's like, it's hard to like graduate into that, like, or it's a big refactor to graduate into it. But once, if you start with them, then you have them, you know, like. Yeah, you've slotted things into these, into these buckets or something. I mean, that that's maybe an argument why you would perhaps use the, even the font weights, even though you're like, why, why? I'll just put 800 myself, yeah. you know. But like, if you, it's almost like I'll draw a line in the sand. I'm like, no, I'm going to use, I'm going to just going to use the variables. Yeah. Because then they're, they're slotting. There's no in-betweens then. I'm like, 
I'm buying consistency through my usage of them. Yeah. Cause I even tried to copy the Z index stuff, you know, and I was like, you know, where it's like layer one is Z index one, layer two is two, layer three is three, four, five. And there's only five layers. If you're doing more than five layers, you probably did a lot. And then layer important is like the two billion one, like uh, the max one. But anyway, it's just kind of like a, man, I wish I like had that going when I started, you know, like, and so instead I have Z index one, two, three and whatever. Mm, I heard that maybe it even was Adam and, and Yuna. She, she, they, they've been, their latest season of the show is about stuff that can go wrong. Okay. Interesting. Why is my image squishy or why is my margin not there? I forget all the names of the, the ones that they've done, but well, I think one of them was about stacking. I think kind of recommended using low stacking numbers, which I don't necessarily disagree with, but I do a little bit disagree with that you should use one, two, three, because there's no in-betweens then. That was, I feel like that's a classic, and I think I've benefited from that, mm-hmm. is to use 10, 20, 30, or 100, 200, 300. Those are still pretty low numbers, but it gives you these in-between possibilities for later without you having to refactor things. Yeah, yeah. Huh. Hey. It's all interesting. Uh, there's, I, that's what's nice about CSS. It's like you can go too hard in one direction and then you have to kind of back out and, or like you like just kind of stopped thinking and then now you have to like refactor and come up with a better system that, that works for your code. It's, I don't know. It is like poo pooed as CSS gets in our industry. You know, it's like, it's really about creating a system that works, you know, and not everyone can do that. And maybe that's why products exist to fix that, but it's, it's cool. All right. Well, well I think we did it. Yo, we did it. All right. Well, thank you, dear listener for downloading this in your podcast. Just be sure to start our favorite up. That's people find out about the show. Follow us on uh, whatever website I have credentials. I can post now again. So that's cool. Uh, was locked out for a bit. Thanks, Elon. Uh, and then uh, head over to uh, join the discord where it is popping off. It's just been really great lately. So thanks everyone who's doing that. That's over at patreon.com slash shop. Chris, you got anything else you'd like to say? <gasps> Shop.show.com.